amen. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28, as we continue in our study of the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible with you or don't own one, we've got some in the pews around you. They say the story on front of them, but it, it, it's just, it's a Bible that in the beginning has a 10-page summary. Uh, and that's the only reason it says the story on front of it. Is there's a 10-page summary there in the front that just summarizes the whole story of how the whole thing is about Jesus and his rescue and redemption and restoration of his people. If you don't know that story well, uh, I would encourage you to take this home with you and begin with reading that 10-page summary and then follow up with me. And I'd love to, more important than that 10-page summary, get you into the actual Word of God and, and love to be able to help point you in the right direction in there. In this Bible, if you don't know where to look, it's on page 768 is where we will be today. Uh, I'm excited. Today's a day of celebration. We've got so many things to celebrate today. You may notice uh, normally when we do Lord's Supper, I, I up my, my game a little bit and how I dress, uh, but I didn't today in, in, in as far as sports coat. and I'm wearing a t-shirt and some of you may be thinking, why is he wearing a t-shirt when we're doing Lord's Supper? Uh, we are celebrating today uh, that our youth group has put together kind of their identity, their new logo together. So give it up for the youth group. And so we are, we're highlighting them and some things that God is doing in the youth ministry today. And we're excited to get to do that. Uh, we're, we're also, we'll get to end our service with my absolute 100% favorite way to end a service, celebrating with baptism. So let's go ahead and celebrate that we're getting to baptize some people today. It's a great day when we get to celebrate communion with God and what he's done for us and then see that celebrated specifically in the lives of individuals that God has, has done a great work in and we get to see them celebrate their salvation. We are so excited about getting to be a part of all of that, and I thank you for being here today. And our kids are across the hall. Uh, as you know, part of our discipleship uh, process here for families is every other weekend, for the most part, kids are going to be either in here or across the hall. Uh, and so when they're in here with us, we have a special bulletin for them, and we try to engage them into the sermon with that special kids bulletin. And when they're across the hall, they are studying the same passage that we're studying as well. And so mom and dad, if your kids are in there with you, I would encourage you to use that as a real easy way to continue the conversation at home. Dive into this short passage together and use that as an easy way to continue that conversation with your kids. Because I'm going to tell you, we're going to do the best we possibly can to make disciples of your children. But ultimately, it's your role, mom and dad, to do that. And we want to do the best we can to equip you in that. And if there's any way we can help, please feel free to ask and let us know how we can better help you disciple your children. Because we believe that making disciples is what this whole thing is about. As a matter of fact, we say at Redemption Church that we exist to redeem the church and the community with the gospel by... That was so... Con I mean, just deep conviction. Let's try that again. With the gospel by... That was maybe a step up better. Um, there we go. Making disciples. All right. So... Look, this is, it's the great commission that Jesus gives us, and so we're always going to push this idea of making disciples because we believe that's where things really happen. And today is a great passage to look at 
in making disciples as we look at Priscilla and Aquila and their encounter with Apollos, as you would already know if you were in Bible study group this morning studying that passage together. Uh, and there's, there's a little bit of cultural interest there, some different cultures. And, and uh, I was thinking about God has blessed me to be able to get to do missions in a lot of different countries and learn from a lot of different cultures and, and realize that when we do mission trips overseas, it, it sometimes we, oftentimes we will do more learning from those cultures than we are able to provide teaching. And, uh, but some, some interesting things that I've found fascinating, uh, here in America, especially in the South, we love to eat. Amen. We love to eat. I love to eat. Uh, and so one of the most interesting things is a Husky fellow like I am is when I go to countries where Huskier people are more rare. Uh, they, they're not used to seeing much one. They're not used to seeing a six foot white guy with a red beard. That's rare enough, but a Husky six foot 250 or more, depending on how things are going, guy with a red beard stands out almost anywhere in the world. And, uh, and so there have been all sorts of interesting responses I've received. And in some cultures, it's a compliment for someone to call you fat. Um, and in some cultures, it's not a compliment. It's just rare. And so they don't understand what to do. I remember being in Nairobi, Kenya, and, um, and we had a whole team of us there. And there was one young lady on the team who was um, extra husky. I'll say it like that. Uh, she's not in this congregation, and you don't know who she is, so I can say that. Uh, she was extra husky. And, and, and I, I'm a friendly, outgoing person, which also stands out in different places. Um, and, and so I end up drawing more attention than I intend at times. And, and I love getting to know people and learn from them. And, and so I remember uh, getting to just talking with the waiter and, and we were just sharing stories at this restaurant we were at. And, and so he came, he pulled up a chair, the waiter pulled up a chair next to me and he looks, poor, poor young lady, he looks at this young lady and then he looks at me and he goes, all right, my man, how fat do people get in America? And I said, well, they can get pretty fat. And he goes, just how fat? And I was like, I mean, like, there's some pretty huge people. And he was just like blown away. He was fascinated by, by this idea of fat people. Uh, and, uh, and even when I went to India, uh, it wasn't so much a compliment in India as, as just a rare occasion. And so I would be talking with somebody trying to get a gospel opportunity going. And they would put their hand on my belly and they would say, why are you so fat? And I'd say, why are you so rude? And they would say, no, 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 that's not rude in our culture. And, and I said, yeah, but there's not, but it's, it is rude in my culture to touch someone's belly and ask them why they're so fat. Um, so believe it or not, our message today is going to be on fat people. All right, so get ready. We're going to talk about fat people today, not in the sense of being rotund or husky, uh, but it's just, look, it's a cheesy old acronym that many organizations have used, and it applies well in this passage of the idea that disciples who ultimately, we've talked about the way we define success here. We are a church replant or revitalization, and we're almost five years into that process. Statistically, it takes around five years to really start seeing signs of health. And, and I, want, I want to celebrate and praise God, church, that we are seeing signs of health. Can we celebrate that for a second? We're seeing signs of 
disciples being made, people being baptized, disciples that make disciples. We're seeing people who get discipled and then go disciple other people. We're seeing people who aren't the pastor share the gospel with people and not always have to lean on the pastor. We're seeing growth numerically. We're seeing growth in all sorts of ways. But, and we want to celebrate that, but we're not done. We, we have not arrived yet. The process has not finished. Now, in one sense, obviously, the process will never finish. We will always be building each other up into maturity, Ephesians 4. But there is a, a sense of when we somewhat get to where we are a healthy, thriving, self-sustaining, self-replicating church. And statistically, that takes about eight years. And so, church, we've got about three more years of good hard work before we get to do some more hard work of a different kind. So, one, let's celebrate what God is doing. But then let's not, let's not rest. Let's not get complacent and realize, man, things are better than they used to be. And praise God, in many ways they are, but we still got a long way to go. And so many have asked, how do we define success? Will we define it based off of how many people are here? No. Will we define it of what the budget is? No. Will we define it on whether we have a huge youth ministry and a huge kids ministry and and a great worship ministry? No. We will define it if we are fulfilling the great commissions. And and ultimately, it's disciples who make disciples who make the community noticeably better by the transforming power of the gospel. Amen? That's what we're looking for. And we've got to keep working towards that. And so as we do that, Here's what I want to tell you is that people who will submit themselves really fully over that process and move from being just consumers in church to to being discipled and being disciple makers, all of them are fat. They are faithful, they are available, and they are teachable. Now, that's not original to me. It's been used for a long time. But I want to walk through this passage today and show you what I mean by that phrase. If you would, stand with me as we read God's Word. Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though... He knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. God, as we look at your word this morning, my prayer is that uh, a funny acronym will not be what sticks in people's minds. But Lord, that that would even help people see how they need to submit to your discipleship of them and whatever plan you have for them. God, I pray that you use this church to make your name famous on the west side of Jacksonville and all across the world. 
Lord, we submit ourselves to you and your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we've been following Paul's missionary journeys and we're at this point where he's ended his second journey and he's beginning his third journey. Between Paul's departure from Ephesus, it was just a short visit there and then his return to it after he'd been to Judea and Syria. This, this other really interesting preacher shows up on the scene. A guy named after a Greek god from a Greek-cultured city in Egypt. A very interesting guy, Apollos. And so Apollos shows up on the scene. He had been most likely a disciple of John the Baptist. And he knew what he knew uh, and aligned with that. And so think about the things that John the Baptist taught as we preached through John a couple years ago. And, and, and it's repentance. The kingdom of God is at hand. The Jesus is the Messiah. These things, and these things were all true and accurate. And so we see Apollos on the scene excited. And so the first part of fat that we see is he is faithful. He is faithful to the word of God as he knows it. Look at the scriptures there in beginning of verse 24 through the beginning of verse 25. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Apollos is an eloquent man. Now, this means that he um, is highly educated and a really good speaker. The Greek word there for eloquent is a combination of those two ideas of high education and gifted communicator. Now, we maybe in your lifetime have experienced someone who is one or the other, but not both. Many would say the Apostle Paul was highly educated, but not necessarily a dynamic speaker. Writings outside of Scripture let us know that while he was a phenomenal writer, he was a not a good sight for sore eyes. Uh, and even less so, a really good communicator. He was deep, he was theological, he was thorough, he was detailed, and there are some people who would have just loved to sit under the teaching of the Apostle Paul as he preached. I'm probably one of those. I love when a guy just goes deep. But he wasn't real dynamic, he wasn't real interesting and charismatic, and especially in that day, while it does have its value in our day, there was an even higher value of rhetoric and the ability to communicate publicly in this time. And Apollos was one of those guys, man. Apollos was one of those guys that when he spoke, people listened. When he, when he started to talk, everyone wanted to hear what he had to say. And God had blessed him not only with that ability, but with a good education. He was from Alexandria in Egypt, northern Africa, which had this amazing library. It was known for the education that you could experience in Alexandria. And he had obviously submitted himself to some degree to that education. I love the way it says that he is competent in the scriptures or mighty in the scriptures, your translation may say. A great theologian and professor, John Broadus, a few days before he died, he didn't know he was going to die, was speaking to his class, and he said, Gentlemen, if this were the last time I should ever be permitted to address you, I would feel amply repaid for consuming the whole hour, endeavoring to impress upon you these two things, true piety, and like Apollos, 
to be men mighty in the Scriptures. And then he paused days before his unknowing death and just kept repeating, mighty in the Scriptures. Mighty in the Scriptures. Mighty in the Scriptures. Apollos was faithful to the Word of God. Here at Redemption Church, we believe that we, have a, we, we should hold a high view of God. And we should hold a high view of God because we, we, we know about God through a high view of the Scriptures. That the Scriptures are, are merely our information about Him. That we don't worship the Bible, but the Bible helps us understand and worship the true God of the universe. The, the one who breathed this and inspired this through so many authors for us. And that, listen, that this is what matters. In, in, in our membership covenant, the very first thing you agree to as a member is that the Word of God be the final arbiter on all things. You know why we put that there? Because sometimes I will be wrong. Sometimes other leaders in this church will be wrong. But you know what's never wrong? The Word of God is never wrong. This is what declares everything. Not my opinion. Not whether I'm an Apollos-like good communicator or a deep-like Paul communicator. But what the Word of God says. This is what matters. Not my opinion. Not my experiences. Not my stories. And not my funny acronyms. But the Word of God. He was... Mighty in the scriptures, competent in the scriptures, and this is what God has called us to, but said that he had been instructed. The word there perhaps leads, it's the root word of where we get the word catechism, which is a process in teaching people the, the word and truth of God. And maybe he was catechized in some way where there were lots of repetition of questions and answers. We don't know. All we know is he had submitted himself to instruction. He was faithful to that. He was fervent in spirit. He was accurate in his teaching, but he lacked a full understanding. None of us are complete in our understanding of God's Word. We all stand in need of further instruction. We all stand in need of of diving deeper into the beauty of God's Word. And when we oversimplify I've often encountered people that have said, that, you know, I'm not a believer in Christ. I grew up in church and there's nothing in the Bible you can't teach me. I learned it all. I think, man, I, there's no way. Maybe you learned legalism and maybe you learned religion and maybe you learned a list of rules you were supposed to live by. But you didn't encounter the God I encountered. Because if you encountered the God I encountered, you wouldn't be able to walk away with such apathy and complacency. He was accurate in what he knew, but he lacked in knowledge that was necessary. Most likely he's preaching repentance and, and the kingdom of God being close at hand, but there's a good chance what he's missing is the resurrection. What he's missing is maybe even the crucifixion. He's missing these key parts of the gospel that, that bring us salvation there were several heresies that developed in the first century Palestine area connected with John the Baptist teaching and preaching. And here's what's fascinating about that, to no fault of John the Baptist. It's not like John the Baptist taught heretical things, but people took what he taught. And here, here's, here will be my application point to you on that. Do not, please don't put this on me. 
Do not let me be the sole place that your soul gets fed. You, you will lack so much if the only spiritual food you eat is Sunday morning. You will lack so much. Listen, we live in a day and age when you have more access to information and preaching and, and good teaching than any other time in history. Get, get taught by many people. Learn how to study the Word of God well. Get taught one-on-one with somebody. Get in relationship. Dive into God's Word with others. Secondly, it talks about how he only knew the baptism of John. Jesus then teaches the baptism in the Great Commission by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You'll be blessed to get to witness that today at the end of the service. I'll be blessed to get to participate in something like that. I want to tell you, baptism is a demonstration of faithfulness. When when you put your faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ for salvation, for your eternity, and for today, and you become a child of God, and you are made new, it it is, listen to me, it it is a vital step of faithfulness to proclaim that to the world. Now, people will argue... Yes, Jimbo, but you can't add good works to salvation. I'm not trying to add good works to salvation. But I am including obedience like the half-brother of Jesus, James, does when he writes, faith without works is dead. Jesus calls us his followers. He says, if you want to follow me. He doesn't just say, if you want to intellectually assent to my existence. He doesn't just say, if you want to agree that I was the Son of God and I died on the cross to pay for your sins and rose three days later and defeated death. Not just an intellectual agreement with that, but if you want to be my followers, disciples follow. There is in that action of following one. You cannot merely announce verbally that you are a follower of Jesus and then not take some steps in his direction. And the first step he gives us is baptism. And so if, like you today, or if, if you today, like some that will be baptized today, have, have made a profession of faith, become a child of God, but you never followed through with baptism, please let me know that. Let us at least have a conversation about it. I'm not going to ask you to get baptized today. I, I want to meet with you and make sure you understand what baptism is and what it isn't, that it doesn't save us, but it is our obedience and a declaration of what God has done in us. And it is a demonstration of faithfulness. Though you knew only the baptism of John. Not only must you be faithful, but you also must be available. One of the things I love to do is is develop, especially young men that feel called into ministry and, and try to help develop them as much as I can. And, um, and, and often, really one of the things it depends on is being faithful, available, and teachable. It, as a matter of fact, if you want to enter into a discipleship relationship with someone and, and really invest your life into theirs, it is worthy of your consideration to ask, are they going to be faithful? Are they available? Do they have the time to do this? Do I have the time to do this? Are they teachable? 
Will they listen to what God's word has to say to them? Or will they always have some reason why they should do it their way? Why there's some asterisk there, an exception for them in the back of the book? Or will they be willing to be instructed by God's word? Look at 26a. He began to speak boldly, this is Apollos, in the synagogue. Probably preaching repentance and the kingdom of God is at hand, like John the Baptist. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, this is a fascinating passage. I want you to see that availability requires intentionality. You will not be available on accident. When I, when I was in Haiti a couple of weeks ago, working with our missionaries there, Mike and Bonnie Snyder, Cabaret Haiti Mission, um, every time I'm around Mike and Bonnie Snyder, there's one thing that God always points out to me about Mike Snyder. Mike Snyder is the most patient and available man I have ever met in my life. He is helping raise 50 orphans in that orphanage, helping oversee ministries at two different schools and helping equip pastors at two different churches. And and as he continues to invest in that community, everywhere he goes, everyone wants a piece of Mike Snyder. There's a picture. I should have put it on the screen for you, but I didn't. There's a picture of Mike Snyder I took because I thought this is like the quintessential Mike Snyder picture. We left church on Sunday morning, and on our way out of church Sunday morning, this lady runs up to him and says, Papa Mike, Papa Mike, and hands him her lamp for her house that has a rechargeable battery in it so that she can charge it during the day and have light at night in her house. And it was broken, and so she hands it to Papa Mike and asks him to fix it. And so we're walking from the church back to the orphanage where we're staying. And, and I asked him, I said, Do you know how to fix a lamp like this? And he said, No but I'll try and figure it out. And so we go, and we're sitting there waiting for lunch, and Mike is patiently taking this lamp apart with three kids on top of him. Three of the orphans are just like, one's like his, their head's right here, one's head's right here, and one's like under his arm over here. And he's just so patiently taking this lamp apart while these kids are all over him, and they're asking him a thousand questions. If you've got kids, you know what it's like, but imagine having 50 of them. And everywhere we went, we would be walking somewhere and Mike would want to tell me a story, something fascinating he wanted me to know, some story, and I'd be listening and he'd get about two sentences in and somebody would come. My roof is caving in. Can you have someone help me with my roof? My aunt needs to go to the hospital. Can you get someone to take her to the hospital? So on and so on and so forth. Always, Mike Snyder never had a moment where he wasn't available. Do you know why everybody does that with him? Because when they do, he pays attention to them. Right? He's been there for many years, and he, if he always turned them away, they would eventually learn, don't ask Papa Mike. But they've learned. They've learned over the years that Papa Mike cares about them. He's available. Any time of day or night, he's available to help. There, there is an availability required for God to use us. Now, sometimes 
God will slap us upside the head and make us available. Sometimes when we choose not to be available, we choose not to be intentional and God desires us to, he will force circumstances into our lives that require us to get on our knees and ask for him to guide us. But there is an intentionality required for availability. It will not happen on accident. Apollos is intentional to take at least what he knows to be the good news of the coming kingdom boldly into these synagogues. This is a man who doesn't even know the gospel fully, but his boldness to say, but this is good news. I know that. I know that the kingdom is coming. I know that God has called us to repentance. And so he boldly goes intentionally into these synagogues to tell them he's available for whatever God wants of him. But not only him, Priscilla and Aquila are also available. They're available to go to the synagogue and sit under someone else's teaching. Still now, even as followers of Christ, they're available to have the boldness to go and take him. When it says they took him aside, it doesn't just mean that they physically took him aside away from everyone, which is a good point. They didn't call him out publicly. They didn't embarrass him. They didn't humiliate him. They didn't call him out in front of everyone else. Here's the pieces you're missing, Apollos but they compassionately and kindly took him aside. But when it says took him aside, there's in the Greek connotations of friendship, of investment. In my mind, just the the Jimbo picture of this, that probably means, and there's some cultural backing to this, that probably means they took took him and had a meal with him. They sat and had just a good meal with Apollos and heard his story a little bit. And as they heard his story, said, Apollos, we want to share some more good news with you. That Messiah, he didn't just come to bring an earthly kingdom, Apollos. That Messiah came to give us an even better heavenly kingdom. To not just free us from the oppression of Rome, but far better than the oppression of Rome, free us from the slavery of our sin for eternity. And then Rome murdered him. But they thought they won. See, the Jewish leaders thought they won. The devil thought he won in that moment. But victory was Jesus's on the cross. Victory was Jesus's for us on the cross when he paid for our sins, when he recognized that the fact that we needed him, God didn't recognize, but we recognized him. They told this good news to Apollos and he was available and they were available just like I saw in Papa Mike, and the reason I struggle every time I see it in him is I am not as good at that as he is, even with my own three kids, much less 50. Part of that is because availability is inconvenient. It just is. Availability means your plans are probably going to get messed up. And I look, I am so persnickety about being on time. Not much in this world gives me anxiety. I am not an anxious person. But if I'm going to be 10 minutes late somewhere, it just, like, my heart rate increases. It just, it stresses me out. My dad almost literally beat that into me as a kid that you will always be punctual. You will always be on time wherever you go. And so I've always had that just, ugh. And so if I'm running less than perfectly early and someone says, hey, can we talk for a minute? I I struggle to be available in that minute because for whatever reason in my mind, being on time becomes more important than anything you have to say. 
Being available is inconvenient. So many times when I was in Haiti with Papa Mike, we would intend to accomplish one task and we would never get to it. But we would accomplish seven other things. On the way, we would have seven other inconvenient encounters because of his availability and we would end up accomplishing so many other things but we wouldn't get that thing done and I would watch him and he would never get flustered. And I thought, that's amazing. If I had something set on my mind, I'm going to accomplish this today, I don't care if I helped 150 other people. It's going to mess with me that I didn't get that thing done today. But availability is inconvenient. But isn't that the way that Jesus often operated? He went through Samaria and runs into the woman at Samaritan well, and next thing you know, he's spending three days in Samaria. That was inconvenient for those disciples. But it was intentional on Jesus' part. Transformation is never convenient, though. We are never transformed mightily in convenient, clear ways. It will always be inconvenient as God grows us. Last one is that we have to be teachable. Teachability requires humility. Look at the second part of 26 and the first part of 27. They took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross Achaia, which is basically Corinth, the area where Corinth is, the, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Now, Apollos was likely far more educated than Priscilla and Aquila. It says that he was competent, mighty in the scriptures, eloquent from Alexandria, where the greatest libraries are. He was an unbelievably dynamic speaker, could grab anybody's attention. But he was humble enough to sit under the teaching of two leather workers, two tent makers, who took him aside, took him in as a friend, and said, let us share a little bit more with you. He could have easily dismissed them. It requires humility. You cannot be teachable and arrogant at the same time. Paulus' attitude should be a reminder to us that we should never think that we are beyond the need for further instruction in God's Word. Paulus was a dynamic speaker and an effective debater. So he could have just said, I'm going to Corinth. I don't need your letters. I'm persuasive enough. I'll make it work. But he submitted himself to the brothers there, to, to the godly leaders there, and said, I, I feel like God's calling me to go to Corinth, to Achaia. And they, they endorsed it, and they wrote the letters, and they, they gave him that blessing. When he gets to Corinth, after Paul has sowed the seeds there, and he's dropped his deeply theological, maybe not as dynamic and interesting message of the gospel and God has moved mightily in Corinth. Apollo shows up and he's on fire. He's fervent in the spirit and now full with the gospel. And he just starts spreading it and watering that seed. Now, Paul could have gotten a little perturbed. I'm the one that did all the work there. Why why is your name coming up so much? When we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when he says, who is Paul, who is Apollos? Then we read in 1 Corinthians 3, 4 and 6, 
Paul demonstrates humility himself when he says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? Are you not making it just about us? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God that gave the growth. Paul had the humility to realize it didn't matter if Apollos was a better speaker than him. Praise God that he was. It's great. He wasn't threatened by that. Who's Paul? Who's Apollos? It's God that moves. Who's Republican? Who's Democrat? Who cares? It's God that moves. Teachable, be, being teachable requires being humble. Teaching that transforms. If you want to be the one teaching, if you want to do transformative teaching, it requires both compassion and conviction. How Priscilla and Aquila don't, they don't call him out publicly. They, they pull him to the side politely. In, in, a, in a life-giving, positive way, they correct with compassion and conviction. It's compassion to them to do it in such a friendly way but they also don't sugarcoat on, on, on essential beliefs. And in our membership class here, we talk about our essential beliefs are essentially boiled down to who is God? What are the scriptures? Who is man? And how does God redeem man? And, and so we, the things that we hold as essential is that you believe God as Trinity, that you believe in the scriptures as all sufficient, inerrant, inspired by God. God breathed the final authority here on earth. Who are we? We're created by God in desperate need of a Savior. And we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and His resurrection. Those are essential beliefs. You, we cannot waver our conviction on those things. We cannot just say, well, they're sincere. These people who have these other religions and beliefs, they're sincere and they sincerely follow it. Sincerity means nothing without truth. You can be sincerely wrong. And so outside of essential beliefs, we must be gentle and we must be compassionate and we must be kind, but we must speak truth. Just telling someone Jesus loves you is not sharing the gospel. People must understand the fact that Jesus loves you in spite of the fact that you are a hostile enemy against him, a son of disobedience, a child of wrath. That's the gospel. Knowing that Jesus would love us and die on the cross to pay for our sins even in the midst of all that, that's the good news. The good news is that we deserve bad news. But our God is gracious enough to give us good news. We must speak the truth, but in compassion and kindness, but with conviction. We must be bold enough to speak truth to people face to face. Not passive aggressively through text messages, emails, or much worse, gossip. But we must be bold enough to sit someone down like Priscilla and Aquila sit down Apollos and in a loving way look someone in the eyes and speak to them. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that's where life change really happens. I'm going to tell you, life change rarely happens through pulpit ministry. 
I, I love, and I feel like God has called me to this, and I feel like preaching is a key part of the way God has designed the church to be. And I love that God has given me the opportunity. I'm humbled often by the fact that I get to stand here and do this. But I also am aware that this is not where life change really happens. It's where it's the discussion after church, at lunch. It's a discussion later this week in the coffee shop. It's meeting with somebody that's going to ask you hard questions that you're going to have to answer them out loud. It's, it's diving into God's Word together and studying it and figuring out what it says as you wrestle with it together. That's where life change happens. It's you opening the Word of God every day. It's you recognizing that you are a sinner in need of the grace of God and that God has given you others like iron to sharpen you. And submitting yourself to that teaching like Apollos does. And here's the last part I just want to share, and then we'll be done. Disciples that make disciples that are faithful, available, and teachable will change the world. Disciples that make disciples that are faithful, available, and teachable, that is how God plans to change the world. Look at the rest of this passage. When he arrived, so now he's gotten the gospel, he's been commissioned to go to Corinth, and when he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Apollos makes a great impact for the kingdom of God in Corinth because he was faithful, available, and teachable. So by turn, Priscilla and Aquila were got to be a part of making a great impact for the kingdom of God and making much of the name of Jesus in Corinth because they were faithful, available, and teachable. If we will be faithful, available, and teachable, make disciples who make disciples, point people to the gospel, it will change the world. Let's pray. God Almighty, I pray that you would instruct us, you would correct us this morning, Lord, anywhere we need it. Lord, that you would convict us where we need conviction. You would comfort us where we need comfort. Lord, that we would be faithful, available, and teachable. Lord, you would use us to make much of your name in this kingdom. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.